Welcome everybody to the first episode in our series on the problem of evil. That's right, we're tackling an apologetics episode today. Um, we're going to look at the problem of evil, some of the different um, solutions, what exactly it is, where it came from, talk about apologetics and how you can understand this issue. Um, like I said, this episode delves into the apologetics side of faith. Um, now, if you don't know, apologetics doesn't mean to apologize for the faith. It means to give reasons for why you believe. Um, now, apologetics is a whole stream of academia, um, and you can go, we're going to give you a list at some point of a lot of different Christian apologists and philosophers that you can go check out more. We're hoping to give you a taste with the problem of evil. As always, subscribe to the podcast um, and go ahead and click so that it automatically downloads. That's what our algorithm counts for um, listens, and that's how all of the different podcast formats will put our podcast up so other people find it. And you can always find more information, blog articles, etc. on our website, thrivetheology.com. So the problem of evil is a problem that really arises for any religious framework or philosophy, not just Christianity, that affirms these three truths. One, that God is almighty. Two, that God is perfectly good. And three, that evil exists in the world. The problem of evil is the most widely used argument against the existence of God, although it has uh, changed a little bit um, in more recent philosophy and skeptic arguments. It's become a little bit more refined and more well-defined, but it is a common argument nonetheless. So it's our view that the problem of evil cannot be explained outside of Christianity. So if you do not follow Christ, if you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, the problem of evil will stump you. It will be a deal breaker for you because um, you are not able to provide an adequate answer for the problem of evil. So Bethany and I, um, in the next few episodes, we're going to take the time to work through the problem of evil, um, hopefully give you guys all of the different facets and arguments both for and against the problem of evil. And at the very end, we are going to give you the answer for evil, which spoiler alert is Jesus Christ. Sunday school answer, right? Um, so what is evil? Um, the evil we are going to be talking about is, number one, moral evil, which is evil decisions, actions humans make and carry out, and natural evil. So this is natural disasters such as hurricanes or disease, etc. Um, and one thing that we'd like to start with um, is that William Lane Craig gives a very good definitional distinction between different forms of the problem of evil. He says, quote, we must distinguish between the intellectual problem of evil and the emotional problem of evil. The intellectual problem of evil concerns how to give a rational explanation of how God and evil can coexist. The emotional problem of evil concerns how to dissolve people's emotional dislike of a God who would permit suffering, unquote. Um, so it's important to distinguish, like we said, between the intellectual issues and emotional issues a person may have with the problem of evil because it should affect your approach to the discussion. And now we're going to go into what is evil. The Bible states that humans are totally depraved. That is, we are, in God's eyes, completely sinful. This does not mean that we, that every human is the worst they could possibly be in terms of like they have sinned the worst they possibly could because we do see in the Bible that there are different types of sin 
Um, sin that hurts other people is different than sin that just hurts you, etc. Um, you know, murder is worse than stealing. And that's pretty evident because we see that God gives out different punishments um, and different uh, laws for different lawbreakers in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that both sins don't completely separate the person from God. They do, but they are not the same in terms of consequence. So the Bible does state that humans are totally depraved, and this means that sin is not inhumane. You know, we, we say a lot of the time that the atrocities humans commit against each other is inhumane, like the Rwandan genocide was inhumane, the Holocaust was inhumane, um, various regimes that have existed throughout history are inhumane. But the reality is that these evils have been carried out by people who are, in fact, very, very human. The problem is that they're humans who are very, very far from God. So rather than saying that evil is inhumane and dissociating it from mankind, we actually have to understand and reconcile the fact that humans, everyday humans, are very capable of carrying out horrible, horrible things against each other. There is, um, if you do some research on this, it's actually quite scary because um, if you've heard of the Rwandan genocide, um, this happened <clears throat> actually in a Christian country and it was normal everyday people who carried out vicious attacks on their neighbors, murder, um, and like looking back, different sociologists and anthropologists who've had to do some research on this people group have come to the the fact that it's normal people who committed these things. We like to think of evil people such as Stalin and Hitler um, and Mussolini, all these different people as being a special brand of human. They're, they're not. We all have the capacity to do that. Um, and that can be kind of shaking because I think in the Western world, we are not connected with that sort of evil on a personal level. We don't live in a war-torn war country. We don't see that kind of atrocity in front of us every day. We like to think of ourselves as separate from those people, but we're not. Um, and that's one of the reasons that um, this is a very human problem. It is intrinsic to who we are as living in the flesh and in a sinful, sinful world. It has infiltrated us in personally and us as a global community. Yeah, I think it was Clay Jones who wrote a book and he did a lot of research, particularly into different genocides that have happened over the course of human history. And one thing that he concluded, like Bethany said, was that it was mostly the, the normal everyday people that carried out these genocides. Um, like Bethany mentioned Hitler. Well, yes, Hitler gave orders, but his soldiers were ordinary people. They were ordinary people who who turned a blind eye, who did things that went against their conscience, who did things that were wrong and, and murdered so many Jews and um, disabled people and minority groups. So from all of this, we conclude that bad things happen to bad people, not good people. We really struggle, a lot of us, with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, the answer to this is that there are, there's no such thing as a good person. R.C. Sproul said, quote, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that only happened once, and he volunteered. Of course, speaking of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, Jesus is the only one who has actually unjustly suffered um, for sin. Uh, he who knew no sin made himself sin, took on our sin. Everybody else um, does deserve death for the sin that they have committed. Um, now, we also have a quote here by Miroslav Volf. 
He said, quote, God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. Um, and he, that's a quote from his book, uh, Free of Charge, from page 139. Just to clarify, we are not saying that every bad thing that happens to every person is a direct punishment from God for their sin. We're not saying that. We know that God doesn't, um, you know, wrap bubbles around the people he cares about and, and completely throw everybody else to the wolves. That's not the kind of God we serve. We serve a very fair and just God, but when people don't suffer, that is God's mercy. And so we have to just understand that, um, you know, if every human were, were to die as punishment for their sins, that would not be unjust. That would not be unfair. That would be completely justified in God's eyes. So when we think about the evil in the world, it's easy to think of all these horrible things like we've kind of already talked about, genocide, murder, um, famine, etc. But the truth is, is that because we are all sinful in our flesh, we all contribute to evil by f- focusing on ourselves and not doing anything about that evil. Not only do we contribute to it by our own action or inaction, we sometimes like if you're not a Christian, you might not even recognize that this is a problem. Um, in your own self, and you'd fight against it elsewhere. We choose evil when we choose to focus on ourselves, making ourselves our God. That is at the heart of rebellion against God, the heart of the sinful flesh of every human. Now, God didn't force us into evil. He gave us the free will to choose it, and we ch- we chose it, and we choose it on a regular basis. Um, and this is, I don't know, I don't know about you, Emily, but I'm feeling a little bit dark um, just have to remind you guys at this point, God did give the answer for this. It's in Jesus Christ and praise God. We've got freedom in him through his sacrifice. Just we, to... we promise this will get better. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> the whole, the whole series won't be this, this much of a downer. Yeah. Um, so Clay Jones says, quote, that we didn't individually vote to make Adam the head of our race doesn't matter because God knows who can best represent us. Also, if God knew that all of us would have acted similarly, he does no wrong in choosing one person to represent us. And he says this in his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Now, that's to say that um, we all are sinful because we're descended from Adam, and Adam was sinful because he chose to disobey God in the garden. And this is difficult because we like to think, oh, well, thanks a lot, Adam. Way to go, Eve. But Like we would do the same thing. Um, And so because of that, we have to be at peace with the fact that God has chosen one person, the first man, Adam, to represent us um, in our sinful ways. But again, praise God, he's chosen the second man, Jesus Christ, to also represent us to himself. Yeah, so it's not like God chose the person who was most likely to sin and then was like, well, sucks to be the rest of you. Like you got stuck with a bad rap here. Um, But rather he chose somebody who, as Clay Jones says, knew who could best represent us, knew who could represent the essence of humanity, the, the human heart, what's in all of our hearts. And that's who he chose. And as Bethany said, he also chose Jesus Christ, who is the second Adam, the perfect Adam. Um, who did not make the mistakes that the first Adam and all of us 
did and still do. All right. Are you ready for some philosophy, Bethany? So ready. (laughs) All right. So we are going to talk about Greek philosopher Epicurus. And I don't know if you would recognize his name, but I did recognize what his school of philosophy is now called, Epicureanism. And on top of that, I actually recognize the spice company Epicure. (laughs) That's what I'm thinking of too. Which I've never purchased from, but I've heard of it. Um, So Epicurus was a Greek philosopher, as I said, and he lived from 341 BC to 270 BC. So a couple hundred years before Jesus. He developed a philosophy of simple pleasure, retirement, and friendship, or the art of living, which, as I mentioned, was called Epicureanism, and it still is today. The schools of philosophy that Epicurus developed lasted until the 400s AD, so he really had a big impact on Greek philosophy, and um, a lot of people do still study him today, although some of his, um, his his like argument regarding the problem of evil has been almost debunked in a way. It's kind of considered a little elementary, um, and we're going to explain that as we go. But this was his line of reasoning for the problem of evil. He said, quote, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he is not omnipotent or all-powerful. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing? Then why call him God? So the reason that a lot of people dismiss Epicurus's argument nowadays is that he ignores God, God's omniscience, his ability to be all-knowing. He knows, um, God knows all possible outcomes, and so therefore it's logically plausible that God has reasons for allowing evil that we do not know about. And even skeptics um, will a lot of the time affirm this, they say, okay, if God is good and evil still exists, well, you know, you could say there is no God, or you can just say like, well, then he knows more than we do. And he must have reasons um, for allowing evil that we don't know about. But of course, this opens a whole other can of worms. It really does. So like Emily said, the Epicurus's original um, problem dilemma that he had laid out has morphed and been edited, and in modern terms, it has a different feel. Um, and atheist philosophers have basically stopped arguing from his initial basic um, syllogism, and now they have moved into something that's a little bit more modern. So it goes like this. If God exists, then he is perfectly good and all-powerful. A perfectly good being would eliminate evil as far as it could. It could do nothing less since it is perfectly good. And an all-powerful being would be unlimited in its capacity to eliminate evil. If God exists, there would be no evil in the world. There is evil in the world, therefore God doesn't exist. So initially, if you read this, or maybe if you've seen it on like a screenshotted meme on social media, you're like, Okay, well, that sounds great. Um, Now what? I don't really know what to say about that because it sounds solid. But um, we would dispute it in the second and third element of the argument. When it says that an all-powerful being would eliminate evil as far as it could, that's where we have problems. The question is, would the perfectly good being eliminate evil as far as it could? Now, This argument doesn't take into account situations where eliminating one evil allows another evil to rise up. It also doesn't answer logical arguments that say that there is a logical limit to what even an all-powerful being can do. 
And these issues lead many skeptics to use this argument to say that God's existence is unlikely or improbable rather than impossible. So it does allow for the avenue of conversation around probability. So now we come to the question, does the Bible say that God created evil? So there are arguments both ways, although the argument that is against this is stronger. So the argument that a lot of people use to say that God created evil comes from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, specifically in the King James Version. It says, I, speaking of God, I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. So the argument supporting this is that God created everything that is in existence, including evil. If he didn't create everything, he is not over everything. He is not sovereign over everything in the universe. In order for God to be sovereign over or bigger than everything, he had to have created it. Therefore, he had to have created evil. If God did not create evil, then he isn't truly in control and he isn't truly sovereign over evil. So here's their support for no, God didn't create evil. Isaiah 45, 7 is the issue we need to address, the one that Emily just quoted. Now, the word for evil in this passage, um, which we quoted from the KJV, is the Hebrew word ra. And ra is sometimes translated as evil, but the meaning of the word is much more broad than the English translation evil or moral evil. It can also be used to refer to hardship, suffering, calamity, disaster, afflictions, distress, and catastrophe. In Isaiah 45, 7, the word ra is translated to mean calamity or something similar. Some other passages that use ra in this way are Micah 1, chapter 1, verse 12, which says, For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Psalm 78, verse 49, he let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company and a company of destroying angels. Job chapter 2, verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And Proverbs chapter 11, verse 15, whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm and he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Now, we're going to come back to Job a couple times um, over this series, but these other passages just show you that there are different ways to translate this word. So, so far we've quoted Isaiah 45, 7 from the King James Version, and if you, like I do, have the Version app on your phone and you use the compare button when you're looking at a verse, you can see all the different translations, how they compare them, um, translate that verse. So we're going to do the same thing here for Isaiah 45, verse 7. The New Revised Standard Version, I form light and create darkness. I make weal and create woe. The English Standard Version, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. The Amplified Version, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing peace and creating disaster. The New International Version, I form light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. The New Living Translation, I create light and make darkness. I send good times and bad times and the message Bible. I form light and create darkness. I make harmonies and create discords. 
And yeah, I, I picked the Bible translations like all the way from like word for word to like phrase for phrase to a paraphrase. I am aware that the message is a paraphrase, but I really just wanted to show that a wide variety of translations all translate what the King James version translated as evil back in the 1600s in our modern English. We don't translate it as moral evil. We translate it as words like woe, calamity, disaster, bad times, and discord. So just wanted to illustrate that um, in our modern English. God doesn't have to have created something in order to be completely sovereign over it. God is big enough to be sovereign over it without actually having created it um, himself. And so while some do believe that God created evil, um, we think that there's also the case that no, he did not create evil, and yet he can still be sovereign over it. Yeah. And that's not to say that things can be created outside of God's control or anything like that, but, and we're going to get into this in the fall, in the next couple of episodes, we're just going to wrap it up for today. But I just want to clarify that the, whether or not you think that God can be sovereign over evil, even if he didn't create it kind of depends on what your view of evil is. If you think that evil is like a force that God has to deal with, um, then you're going to feel like, well, there can't be, you know, something against God that God did not create because you're suggesting that the origin of that thing or force came from somewhere other than God, meaning there's, there's things in the creation that were created outside of God. Um, we are going to be arguing that evil is not something that had to be created, but rather it is the lack of God's presence. Um, and we're going to get into more into that and all the different explanations. There's several different explanations for the problem of evil. We are going to get into that in the following episodes, but for now, we are just going to leave you right here. Okay. So our recommended resources for you today, um, we have one specific one. It's a video by Mike Winger that says that is called, did God create evil? A misunderstood Bible verse, Isaiah 45, seven. He goes much more in depth than we did and offers a whole case for why we cannot say that Isaiah 45, seven, um, claims that God created evil. We will also be linking an article about Epicurus um, as well, if you would like to learn more about him and his philosophy. So we are going to leave you with that for today. We will be back next week with our next episode, part two of our series on the problem of evil, where we will continue to dive into these topics. And with that, we will talk to you next week. Bye.